Please join with me in prayer. Lord, once again, we are grateful for this day of all the days of the year because we remember those who have helped us to know you and to follow you. And I pray as we look at this well-familiar passage for so many of us, I ask that you would speak new truths into each and every one of our lives, into our hearts, so that we too would be named among the saints. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. The self-help industry is a million-dollar industry. It fills bookstores and conference rooms, from money management tips to how to speak better in public to reading faster. Whatever it might be, the self-help change industry is here to stay. Workshops, seminars, and retreats led by all, all kinds of self-help gurus can cost up to $30,000 a weekend. And productivity apps and podcasts have absolutely taken off just in the past year. So it's easy to think of self-help as a simple product with a good marketing team behind it. But what we have today in the story of Zacchaeus is a self-help with eternal consequences. As he leaned into the person and work of Jesus Christ, I turn encourage you to turn in the back of your bulletin to Luke 19 with us. If you have your Bible, that's where we are. You can find it on your app as well. Because today we're going to look at this story because what it's about is change and a changed life. We all know the story from the tune, Zacchaeus was a little, wee little man. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree of the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up to the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down. And I learned in England, for we're going to our house for tea. <laughs> Lucy, where's that come from? You know, I'm arguing with my eight-year-old host daughter. Because I was telling her about Zacchaeus, and she goes, and she was singing it for me. He's, for I'm going to your house for tea. I go, no, it's today, Grace. And she said, no, it's for tea. And I learned tea in English culture is dinner. See, we, we speak the same words, but not the same language. God bless you guys for staying with us this long, Lucy, because it's amazing. But that's how we know it's also tea. It's also tea. You can have tea at four or come to tea for dinner. But the point is, this is the story about a guy who's a tax collector. And my friends, this is not the IRS. This is Israel was a subjugated, uh, conquered land. And Rome was basically taking all the excess wealth, all the capital in enormous amounts, for taxes weren't taxes, and they would hire in the local jurisdiction tax collectors who were basically the mafia. You know, if Jeremy owed a hundred bucks taxes, I would go tell him, You owe 500 bucks and we'll keep the Romans off your back. You know what I mean? He's the godfather of Jericho, Zacchaeus, and he's a wee little man. Can you see why he was hated? 
their mortal enemy was being collected, was, was, we were all being taken advantage of by this guy and his cronies. And that's who we have here. He's powerful. And yet, having Jesus to his house changed everything. So what we learn are three great things. Number one, the need for change. Two, the key to change. And three, the results of change. Let's look at this. The need for change. As soon as we hear a person has come to faith in Christ or been converted or born again, whatever phrase you put to it, we think, well, they must have been really been desperate, right? They're in the gutter, they're drug addicts, whatever it might be. That's great for them, but not necessarily for me. That's not my experience. That's fine for you. But that's not is what going, is going on here. C.S. Lewis says it this way, niceness, wholesome personality is an excellent thing, but we must not suppose that he even succeeded in making everyone nice that we should have saved their souls. For mere redemption is not redemption, though redemption always improves people, even here and now will in the end improve them to a degree we cannot yet imagine. Jesus became man, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, to produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better. It's like turning the horse into a winged creature. That's what God wants to do in each and every one of us. So the first point is the only way to know that we've been changed and can change is to know the reality of verse 10, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we all need it. Because notice, Zacchaeus didn't wake up in the morning as a desperate man. He had it pretty good, you know. Nobody liked him, but he didn't care. He wanted to find out who this Jesus was. Because Jesus was a celebrity, you know. So number one, he was intellectually open. And two, the little dude went through the crowd, probably got elbowed, because you wouldn't want this guy, you wouldn't want the Godfather to see Jesus right? You would have probably done what I would have done. You know, we're all in there waiting to see Jesus. He's coming down the road. Zacchaeus is behind us. We go, oops, sorry. That's the way he was treated. They wouldn't let him through. So he looked on ahead. Jesus is coming this way, ran up, got in a, a sycamore tree, which is absolutely humiliating for an ancient person. So he could see Jesus. So he's intellectually open, and he's persistent. And if we will be intellectually open and persistent ourselves, we too can truly meet the living God in Jesus Christ. Now, also, I want to warn you, when we're intellectually open and persistent, the world won't like us either. It's always been that way. So, but don't be surprised. Next, we see we all need this change, and there's a key to change. And what we see here in verses 5 and 9, uh, if you say, all right, you know, I get it. You know, some conversions are gradual, some are quick. I understand that, Gene. But Luke lays it out beautifully for us in those two verses. Because like today as in Jesus' day, people have this bizarre notion about God's grace is something that we have to earn, not receive. Every other religion and every worldview says 
you're saved if you do these things. Salvation has come, says Jesus. He speaks about salvation, about Zacchaeus, in the past tense. Isn't that amazing? All other worldviews cannot and will not do that because you have to earn it. It's a matter of what you do. And of course, when you live that way, you're never done, are you? It's never complete. It's never finished. And truly, there's no hope, no assurance. That's why this time of year, you know, we remember those reformational characters who brought great hope in the 16th century. That it was great hope and love as they looked at God's amazing grace and all that he has done. And so we see here that salvation, in Jesus' words, verse 5, he looks up to Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And in verse 9, we don't know what was said. We don't know exactly what went on at Zacchaeus' house that day. But salvation had come, verse 10. Today, salvation has come to your house. Why has salvation come to Zacchaeus' house? Because Jesus is in the house. He's been welcomed into the house. He's been listened to and heard and responded to by Zacchaeus. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's all been done for you upon the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's a gift offered to each and every one of us in him. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house. And when we think I'm coming to your house, we think it's like an American dinner party. <laughs> you know, if I invite you to do over my house, you wouldn't be coming for my cooking. You'd be coming for Kimmy's, number one. And number two, we'd probably have a really good time. It'd be great. But that's not what the ancients meant by this. What the ancients meant when you received an invitation of hospitality, you were being invited into authentic friendship, authentic relationship, authentic intimacy with that person. So when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, Godfather, they all freaked out. Look at verse 7. How'd they respond? And when they saw it, they all grumbled. Jesus has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. That's <laughs> what they always say. But this is exactly what happens. Jesus is inviting himself into this relationship with Zacchaeus of all people. And that's what happens when people receive the good news of Jesus Christ. He could have said, and the crowd would have loved for him to say, Zacchaeus, if you clean up your life, I'd be happy to come. I'll be your friend. We'll have a relationship and a good dinner, and then I'll love you. He didn't do that. He said, I'm coming to your house today, and I'm going to love you regardless of how you respond to this message. Because that's what happens because of the good news of the gospel. It's captured beautifully in Charles Wesley's hymn, Amazing Love. Amazing love, how can it be that, oh my God, it found out me? That's what he's trying to get across. It's an amazing response. So the key to being changed is the response to the gospel of, 
I'm coming to your house. Me? My house? Yeah, I'm coming to your house. And he wants to come into every single one of our lives, my friends. And so the key to the change that God desires is responding to that gracious call. Third, what's the sign of a true change? Jesus says, today salvation has come to his house. He's not saying, now that you've given your money away, you're saved. He's saying, because you're giving your money away, I see that you're saved. You're giving away your money and your power. Because if you've not really grasped the grace of God, it doesn't change your attitude toward your idols. And we all have them. The great French reformer John Calvin said, every single one of our hearts is simply an idol factory. We manufacture them and we can't help it. So for Zacchaeus, it was his money and power. For some, it's sexual idolatry. For others, it's relational idolatry, be it with a spouse or relational idolatry with kids, relational idolatry with parents, relational idolatry with all of family, sports idolatry with our young people. It's the whole idea of getting in the in crowd. I got to be part of this crowd or I'm nobody. Or it's finding my identity outside who I am in Christ. Or it's academic success so that I can get into the right school. So if I don't get in the right school, I'm a nobody. No. Our identity, all our, who we are is found in who we are in Jesus Christ. In and of themselves, all those things are good things. They're not bad. They're all part of God's creation. But Zacchaeus recognizes that this is wrong, and he responds with a life of incredible generosity. Look at verse 8 and 9. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. He's talking about the tithe. You know, we're all supposed to tithe, right? You know, we're supposed to give a tenth of our income to this local synagogue or the local church. Zacchaeus says, you know what? 50% pledge. Come on, Zacchaeus, be part of Christ Church. We love you. 50% of his income. That's amazing. And if he had extorted money, now, this is, this is the guy who's been breaking kneecaps for a living. All right? If I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay you back fourfold. The biblical standard was 20%. So if Zacchaeus took 100 bucks, he owed them 120. He's going to pay back 400%. 400%. This is a changed life because Jesus, Zacchaeus realizes if he gave any less, it wouldn't be enough. You know, I know, I know some wealthy people that to give 10% doesn't, doesn't cost them anything. And so the question for where we are in our walk with the Lord this morning on this All Saints and Baptism Sunday is... Whatever our thing that holds us back in idolatry of the Lord, what is it I need to give up for him? Because it's bondage. It's not full life. And it's so unsatisfying. And it doesn't give me any hope. It doesn't give me any assurance. But this Jesus Christ does. 
because Jesus lost everything for us. He had all the power. He was omnipotent and he became a human being and he wasn't he didn't just become a limited human being. He came and he surrendered it all upon the cross for each and every one of us, including baby Elizabeth today. Jesus didn't die so you can live the Christian life the way you want to live it. Jesus died to give you the abundant life found in walking fully under his ownership, all in Christianity. And his desire isn't for us to simply to hop from crisis to crisis with a messy Christian life. The good news of Jesus is more about joyful transformation than messy complacency. So therefore, my friends, like Zacchaeus, salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, and that it is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not so that any of us can boast in our works, because there's no works that we can do that are big enough. And Paul doesn't stop there in Ephesians. He says, For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ, for good works that we are called to walk in. In other words, what I used to love, I now hate. And what I used to hate, I now love. I get that from Tim Keller. And every time I said his name in England, they would go, Praise it be his name. <laughs> I said, Well, Tim Keller said, they all go, Praise it be his name. They were joking, but it just shows you the impact of a faithful teacher, doesn't it? But it's true. We were bound to a set of broken desires, and we're a new creature in Jesus Christ, given a new set of desires, so we're called to walk in them. Today, salvation has come. We've heard Luke mention this whole year, today. In the very beginning of the gospel in Luke chapter 10, chapter 2, verse 10, today is born to you in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In Luke 4, we heard him read, open up the scrolls of Isaiah and say, today this reading has been fulfilled in your hearing as he declares that he is the Messiah. On Good Friday, we heard him turn to the thief on the cross and say, today you will be with me in paradise. And to the Godfather of Jericho, he says, today salvation has come to this house. One of the great stories of this past week has been the story of the hip-hop artist Kanye West. I know some of you guys go, who? <laughs> Believe me, all our young people know who he is. He's a hip-hop artist. It's not my cup of tea music. But he was called forth at the Jimmy Kimmel show last week where Jimmy Kimmel said, as this album is released, are you telling me you're a Christian artist? He goes, man, I'm a Christian everything. I said, good for you. Good for you. Can we say that? Am I a Christian everything? That's the promises that we're all going to make here in a second, by the way. I'm a Christian everything. And kind of heartbreaking this week is the condemnation you get in the blogosphere, right? People are saying, oh, is he really real? And some of these people are in the church, by the way. The world is always skeptical. But the church, guys, let's pray for him. Let's pray for his wife, Kim Kardashian, shall we? 
He asked her to dress more modestly, and she said, I'm not where you are. Well, the Holy Spirit can get her. Let's pray. That's, that's a changed life. It's an amazing, in the name of his album, is Jesus is King? Praise God. What an impact he could have if he grounds his walk with Jesus Christ as he ministers through his music to millions of people. Not my cup of tea. I, I listen to it. I'm like, meh. But good for you, buddy. Good for you. Let's not be that skeptical. Let us pray for one another, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ. And today, let's embrace it as we support Jeremy and Megan as they ground this in the relationship of the gospel. As we baptize Elizabeth here, we're not saying, it's interesting that the question for the 45th week is about what does water baptism mean? We're not saying that Elizabeth is saved by the water of baptism. What we're saying is Elizabeth will be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that the outward and visible sign of water is the washing of her sin. As we, Julie, Mike, all promise to support her in the walk with Jesus Christ. And the promises that we make today are huge. We're making promises together as Christ Church. This is not just for them, it's for all of us. That we're going to be people who read the Bible, study it, mark it, learn it. We're going to be people of fellowship, meaning we do life together in groups. So if you don't like one of the groups we have listed in the back of the bulletin, come to me. We'll help you create your 1968 Mustang group. Okay? I just happen to like the 1968 bullet Steve McQueen Mustang. You know? Be entrepreneurial. What's your passion? Let's, let's do life together. That's the fellowship promise. We're going to be people committed to the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, which means gathering on the Lord's Day, setting this day out all week to stop, rest, gather together, grow together. We're going to make promises that we're going to be people of prayer. And all the other promises are self-evident. We're going to make a promise to whenever we sin, repent and return to the Lord. We make a promise that we, as we go out in this place, we're going to share the good news in word and deed where we live, work, and play. We're going to make a promise to get involved in ministry right here at Christ Church using our passions. We're going to make promises to meet the needs of the poor around us. Sounds like Christianity to me. Let's do it. Let's walk in this amazing grace because we all need the change. God's given us the change in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's embrace that relationship and let him use us no matter how he wants to use us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for, once again for this day and grateful for your love for us. We thank you for this family who comes forward seeking to lay it all down for you. And we thank you for our babies, especially for Elizabeth today. And pray, Lord, the work that you begin in her, in her today would be carried through to completion as you shine your light in and through her and this family. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.